Hello and welcome to Tarot Bites. I'm Teresa Reed, the Tarot Lady. I'm the author of the Tarot Coloring Book and your host for this podcast series. This is episode 104 of Tarot Bites, the podcast where I dish out short, entertaining, bite-sized lessons on how to read tarot and oracle cards and all that good stuff. And for today's episode, our topic is connecting with the divine. And my special guest is Tasha Silver, who is the author of Outrageous Openness and the brand new Wild Offerings Oracle Deck. Welcome, Tasha. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here, Teresa. I am so happy to have you here because, like many tarot readers, we're big fans of your work. Um, You have a way of presenting spiritual topics that is so down to earth. And I feel that your work is helping many more of us feel connected to spirit. So that's why I am excited to talk to you about this topic. Um, and what I'd like to talk about also is your new Oracle deck. But the first question that I, I want to ask you is this. What does it mean to connect with the divine? Well, I think there's a lot of different ways to answer that. But, but to me, how can I put it? If we did not live in an insane culture, this would be as natural as breathing. And I would consider it the connection not only to the inner intuition, but that there is this expansive force of love that is actually always waiting to not only help us, but to actually guide the way. So I don't really see this as, I think sometimes people look at contacting the divine as, well, I want what I want and let me call in this force of love to try to get it. And if you know, if you've read my books, I see it far more expansively than that, that it's really the burdens of everything can be offered to this force. You can actually invite it in and then through your intuition through your body, through instinct, through signs that are external, through messages, you start to get a deeper and deeper communion with that force. It's it's really like building a muscle. And I think if we lived in a sane culture, like I say, kids would learn it from a very young age and be, anyone would be really adept at it by the time they were, you know, 15. But for a lot of us, we learn it later because it's not prioritized in the culture. And I think another piece of it is also that we're, we're taught so many rules about how to do that right and how to not make a mistake that people come from tremendous fear instead of learning that it's actually a relationship that you can relax and open to with practice. Well, you know, I think that's interesting that you mentioned about the, the crazy culture. And, um, you know, people do seem to be wanting to connect with something greater than themselves more than ever. And, yeah. you know, quite possibly it is because of all the crazy stuff that's going on. Do you think there's any other reasons why it really seems now that people are wanting this more and more? Well, you know, there's a saying that the more the energy of the dark comes in, and the more catastrophe and all the different things that are happening, that there is a corresponding light that grows as well, that it's just the nature of yin-yang and it's what happens. So I think that there's a natural response that that grows. And, you know, one way that you could you could think about it is that if 
perhaps some people are alive in this time right now in order to grow spiritually, that, that we chose to be alive under all of these disasters and difficulties because if everything was just chill and tranquil and we were hanging out at a beach drinking a margarita, there would be no spiritual evolution. Mm-hmm. So, I think you're right about that because I often find that the time that we tend to grow the most is not when life is good. It's always when life exactly. is handing us, you know, a crap sandwich. <laughs> exactly. Although I think there's another side to it that can also be, you, you, you can also learn to really let the good stuff be part of the spiritual evolution as well. Mm-hmm. But I think that's by inviting in the divine. Like to me, once that invitation is made and, and that's what happens in a lot of, uh, I guess the work I do is all about that, then both the good and the difficult are really offered to this force of love. And then it's like, it's all part of the same piece. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your work for a minute. Um, your book, Outrageous Openness, which is such a popular book. It's fabulous. I love it. And you talk a bit about your 30-year writer's block and how that yeah. when you turned <laughs> over all of your work to God. So yeah. I'd love to hear about how surrendering to spirit has impacted your life. And what do you mean by surrendering to spirit for people who maybe aren't sure what this means? Well, I would say it's surrendering to something larger than the demands and uh, control of the ego, basically. That, again, because the culture has all the constraints that it does, we're given messages like, you have to make it happen. You can do it. Get what you want or somebody else might take it. It's like, you know, the messages are pretty much incessant. And this really turns it on its head and says, well, actually, there is a force of love greater than the ego. In fact, the ego is one of the most limited places to live from. And I feel like I'm a walking example of that, that you can actually learn to step into that larger relationship that we were just talking about earlier uh, through invitation. I mean, it really happens by inviting it. So, you know, to use a concrete example like that writer's block, I was there for, you know, I'd gotten my degree in English literature. I'd, you know, taken all these classes and was trying really, really hard to write. And that was the way we're taught is you effort, you effort, you try, you try, you blah, blah, blah. None of that was particularly working. And when I finally <laughs> took 30 years, so I must be a slow learner, but when I finally got to that place that I knew something needed to shift, I could feel the impulse on the inside that the writing wanted to start coming through, but I had no idea how to let that happen. I began to use prayers of invitation, and some of those are in Outrageous Openness, but some of them are also, more of them are in the second book that followed, which is Change Me Prayers. Mm -hmm. And you began to do these prayers that basically said, God, if you want me to write, and if people don't like the word God, you could equally say love or, you know, it could be however you want to address this transcendent awareness, you know, chi. But I basically, for me, just said, I am ready. If you want this to happen, let a miracle happen so I can begin to create. And that you use me, this transcendent love, use me in the world for your good. 
because, you know, I think that the obstacle inside of me, and I think it happens to many people, is this is my writing. This is my business. I have to make it happen. If I don't, I'm just going to stay stuck. And then you're always in the circuit of the ego. And basically, this just broke the whole circuit. And I found that the more I was doing prayers like that, saying, open me, use me, as opposed to trying to use the universe to get things, it became this force of love, use me, if the writing can be of service, use me. I was finding that, you know, suddenly I was waking up in the middle of the night and all this stuff was pouring through and I was getting it down on paper. So I think it can really be applied to almost any topic I've seen amazing things happen about you know whether it's i have to go find a house so rather than saying i have to now work really hard and look at every single conceivable house that crosses my way you call in this force of love and you say the right house for me is already selected use me if it's meant to be that it's time for me to move use me guide me it's in your hands now and not in mine i love that and i want to ask you then how does this compare to law of attraction? Um, it's, it's very quite, different. It's quite different. I mean, you know, I, I work a lot from paradox. So I would, in the sense that I think that any two things can be, uh, they can be contradictory and yet true at the same time. So I think there's a part of law of attraction that's true, which is that to some extent we create from our vibration. So if you're somebody that's just negative and fearful and resentful and bitter every moment, of course that's going to impact what comes to you because you're holding a certain vibration that's quite low. However, I think to me the the error or the limitation of only seeing things from the law of attraction is there's many other factors that operate in the universe besides holding I want this and I want that. And those are karmas, those are uh, the, the factor of karma, that there are individual um, lessons and curriculum that a given soul comes to earth to learn. So somebody, you know, the law of attraction might say, you know, if I want a Maserati and if I focus hard enough on that Maserati, no matter what my background is and no matter anything else, I will get it. And I found that not to be true. I found that if you're doing, I, instead of using that model, I use offering, which is what we've been talking about. And then I would say that you're calling in the divine plan. You're calling in what's highest for the soul's evolution instead of the shopping list from the ego. Because the shopping list from the ego is not always meant to happen. And what I was finding was that there were people that were very... Uh, much working with great sincerity with the law of attraction and then blaming themselves when certain things didn't come to fruition. Oh, I must not have done it right. Oh, I must be a bad manifester. Well, when you view it from offering, there are things that don't happen because that's the last thing that the soul needs at that moment, perhaps. And in fact, there's a higher plan that emerges through offering that then brings that. So I think that there's a part of it that's true, but it goes into something that's far more um, nuanced and, from my view, real. Well, you know, I, I think that um, a Maserati is something that I don't really need and a lot of people <laughs> don't need. But it is funny. A lot of people with law of attraction they go right for that big materialistic stuff. So I, 
Or, or even if they don't, I mean, I could use the example of, let's say, a relationship. Like, I, you know, it's a common one. And, you know, I, I've, I've worked with people over the years teaching this, the, the forum I do online. And, and, you know, people have come sometimes from that background where they'll say, well, you know, I took a course and in 90 days I was supposed to get my soulmate and it didn't come. So I must have done something wrong. And then as you go deeper, viewing it from offering, it could be like, this is somebody that actually perhaps needed to learn mm-hmm. how to love themselves first or needed to learn how to stand on their own two feet first. And that isn't really factored in. It's just like, oh, you must have done something wrong to block it. Mm-hmm. So this is, I, I don't mean to make this only the most superficial uh, materialistic stuff. This can apply to anything that once the divine plan that there's a, a karmic blueprint, a curriculum that each soul really carries to earth for its awakening. That's very different than just getting the ego shopping list. Right on. You know, I grew up Catholic, and we had to say our nightly prayers <laughs> with our mother. I, I'm actually one of those people that didn't have a horrific uh, experience with it. Uh-huh. Um, but I always remember being a kid, and I'd be doing those prayers, and I thought to myself, is God really listening to me? Is yeah. he, she, you know, are they really listening? And I think a lot of people probably do wonder that. Um, yeah. So, you know, how does prayer connect us to something greater? And does it really work? Is God listening? Well, I would say that, you know, there's a great line that said that the, um, the God that atheists don't believe in never existed anyway. Mm. And so I think it's really the issue is what are you calling God? And so to me, because I don't see it like some dude in the sky who's throwing down thunderbolts <laughs> when we're bad, and <laughs> I really see it as this force of love mm. that already exists in in everything. I mean, that's what quantum physics itself is showing, that, that everything is God in that quality of of energy you you start to see that force that you're praying to as living on the inside as well as the outside and um so i go into it a lot in the changing prayer book that Mm -hmm. if if you're no longer externalizing it and you're no longer seeing it as something separate and then you 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 solve a lot of problems because then it's not like oh god you've abandoned me i must have been bad why aren't you answering you're addressing the most intimate, deep part of yourself that is also connected to, you know, the outer forms as well. I have to say, I for some reason, this work attracts an enormous amount of recovering Catholics. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> That's why I started laughing when you said that. And it's, it's actually very moving because yeah. people have come over the years and they've been like, I shut this whole thing down long time ago, like, uh-uh, this, this isn't working for me. And all of a sudden I'm realizing that, oh, my God, my heart has been missing that feeling of, of intimacy with love. Mm. So, so then what do you say to people who don't believe that there is a divine or a greater force? I think that's fine, too. I mean, that's the thing, is that, like, this work... It's funny, it has its own little cult following of atheists. Really? You know, I, don't, I don't tell people what to believe because you, 
are literally, you can either, you can approach it from the place of being like me, which is very devotional by nature. I'm not religious, but I'm kind of in a bit of my own love affair with this force of love. But there's also people I could, I love to mention my friend Dan. He's a complete atheist and he's been using this work forever because he sees the limitations of his own rampant ego. And so when he has to make a decision, he just, you know, he talks about it like uh, the force of gravity in the world or, you know, like he, he just says he's calling in whatever force is holding the universe together. He says to it, guide me. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't like the word. He's not, he never would particularly call himself spiritual. And I've, you know, their Buddhists aren't particularly focused on God. That's not their thing, but I've had many Buddhists use this mm-hmm. because the limitations of the ego are, it's really like you're operating with, you know, one finger instead of 10. Right. That makes total sense. Doesn't it? Yeah. It does. And, you know, it's interesting because lots of people come to my office because they're trying to feel connected to something. They're trying to yeah. feel connected to themselves, maybe a partner. And oftentimes their life purpose, they're searching for that. And tarot cards can be really helpful in that regard. Absolutely. So what, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, tarot can really be uncanny. But what are other ways, non-tarot, non-cards, that people can feel that divine connection? Well, you know, I would partly tell them to go and get my other books because there are hundreds of ways in there. It's it's almost like it's, it becomes a way of living. And I would say it's like you move out of, uh, one woman wrote me that she felt like she was moving out of seeing the world in black and white and moving into color because you're literally, I, I say to people sometimes, just pretend that there is a force of love that wants to guide and assist you. Like take 21 days and just pretend rather than you're currently pretending that you're on your own and good luck to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's, how do you know for sure that that's the case? So I have said to people, take 21 days because that's a good measure of time to recalibrate the brain and offer your day at the start of the day, give it to this force of love, whether you believe in it or not, or do what Dan says and just give it to some universal whatever and just say, guide me today, help me today, show me the way. And you can, it can be made very simple and very accessible and extremely surprising things start happening to people because, again, when the ego alone is in the lead, you're only accessing a very tiny part of your brain. That is very true. And it is so easy to get caught up in what I call stinking thinking. That's right. And that will often then take us down a very, very different path, usually the path we don't want to be in. That's right. So let's talk about your new deck, the Wild Offering Oracle. This is a 52-card deck about giving it all to God. Um, First thing I want to ask you is what led you to create this wonderful deck? Well, you know, I love tarot decks anyway. I mean, you were a no-brainer to talk to because I just, I love, I, I probably own about 13 decks of various kinds. And I like how, in this current um, culture that we're in, they're quick and they're accessible and they can act as a focusing device. 
And so, you know, I had all of these prayers and writing and, you know, I've just been doing this work for, for so many years. And all of a sudden, it just came as an idea. What if we could begin to put these together with some apropos images so that the ideas of offering that, you know, you and I have been talking about since we got on, that those ideas could start to go to people, not through a book that they have to plow their way through the whole thing, but that they could actually just pick a card and enter that energy of offering. It was almost starts to act as a portal. And for some people, you know, I found this really gratifying. There are people that they didn't know my books, they didn't know any of that, but they love card decks. And so they went and they got the deck and then they would just pull one card and it would be like, oh my God, I suddenly understand surrender or I suddenly understand self-worth because it would be presented to them through the lens of, of offering. Right, and you know, tarot people, well, we all know your work because <laughs> are very drawn to your work and, and your books have been very influential. So I think a lot of us are already buzzing about the deck. And we love having the cards in our hands, you know, the, like yeah. the portal. And so this is yes. such a great idea. And so what I do with your deck is I keep the Wild Offering Oracle on my desk. And what I do is I choose a new card every week and I choose it randomly. Mm. And... um then I say the prayer in the morning every day of that week as a way to kind of set up my day with a spiritual focus. Yeah. And I think that's really helpful. And sometimes I'll get a card and I'll be like, well, what the heck? And yeah, totally. The, yeah, later totally. on in the week it's like, oh, yeah. Totally. So the one I pulled today, and this is so uncanny, I pulled Solitude because Monday is the day I, I pick it. We're recording this on a Monday. And the card I picked is Solitude, and it says, once you embrace the inner divine and your own sacred solitude, the right people arrive at the right time, exactly on schedule, without forcing or chasing. And this is so uncanny because I'm dealing with a situation right now, which is so weird, which is all about um, struggling with teamwork and collaboration and feeling like i got to do everything on my own. And I read this, I'm like, oh, oh, this is so beautiful. So this is going to be my card for the week, and it just really fits with what I need to work on this week. Wow. I actually love that you do it for the whole week. That's really great because I think sometimes people say, oh, I pulled that card and I don't know what the heck it applies to, and then they quickly move on to other ones, and you're saying you really give it the time to blossom. I love that. Yeah, and like today this card is like right away, you know, I had a situation uh, in the morning. I'm like, oh, yeah, got it. But sometimes it may take a couple of days before finally I'm seeing what that means or how it's manifesting or even if I'm not seeing it, I find it's still good for me to focus on that because yeah. maybe I'm tuning into something that I don't know that I need, and these cards are helping me. I love that. So here's what I'd like to know. What are some other ways that you might recommend that people – I mean, this is the way I work with it, but what are some of the ways that you might recommend that people use your deck? Well, I have to admit they've come out with um, the, uh, the app as well as the the deck from Hay House. And so I've been carrying it around on the phone and literally, you know, you're you're right in the center of something and you're trying to make a decision and you can't get that clarity. And I'll just pull a card, you know, asking right in the moment, do I need to 
I mean, to be honest, I, I know you're, you're talking to me right now from New York, and I left California because of the fires uh, for a couple of weeks, and I was having to make the decision, do I grab this ticket that was right in front of me that was non-refundable if I, if I jumped? And I made the decision from the card deck. I just pulled it up on my phone. So I use it in a, in a really, really practical way a lot myself. And I think that uh, what I'm finding with this deck is it will speak to different people differently, depending, and I'm sure you find this with other decks as well, but people find their own way. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are people that use it interacting through the day. There's people that only use it once a week, like you're saying. There's people that will take a particular really uh, gnarly problem and they'll take uh, a week and pull a new card on it each night to get more and more layers of how to approach the problem. So I think there's a lot of creative ways to do it. One woman actually wrote on the forum that I run that she's painting, she's doing a little painting based on the cards that speak to her the most. So I have people are so creative. Yeah, so she's using it to tap into a real creative side. I'd love that. Exactly, because she was finding before the deck that she was a control freak and that, you know, she was always trying to manage and run everything and all of a sudden this energy is opening up of like, well, what if I let go? What if I'm really inviting spirit to lead here? And these paintings are coming in that she says are coming from using the deck. That's beautiful. So for people who want the deck, where can they get the deck? Well, I think if they go, one of the easiest ways is if they go to my website, tatoshasilver.com, we have a link because then they can get it through a whole variety of, you know, the carriers like Amazon, but also Barnes and Noble and Book Depository is one of my favorite places online because if people are outside of the U.S., they can get the deck with no shipping charge to other countries. So, you know, sort of the standard places. And I would probably recommend for people, too, to check out the the app. They can get it right on uh, their phone and it's only 99 cents at this time. So it is? Awesome. Are you kidding? No, right now. I just thought giving one for free, I didn't know that was what it cost. Wow, yeah, it's the cheap, cheapest app around. It is, and it's you're getting your wisdom right there. It's, again, you can look at it every day. You've got it right there. If you're making a decision, you're feeling stressed about it. So this is another really wonderful way to work with the deck, and I, I really love that. But, you know, one thing I would say, and when you were talking about just holding them, it's there is something. They they were actually made with the artist um, Katie da- Katie Davy mm-hmm. Katie Daisy, and there's something about her artwork. You see it on the app as well. But when you're holding the physical cards, her artwork is so layered and mm-hmm. beautiful that it's it's very powerful holding them too. I agree, and I'm an old school person. Yeah. I love to have a book in my hands. Yeah, I have that also. I, I just can't use Kindles. I just don't. No, and you know, I get I get the, I get Kindle and it ends up with digital clutter. Although I do have some apps I like to play around with, but I love holding them in my hands. And by the way, the deck is made very well. I agree. It's it's really good paper. I mean, you yes. you know you know that whole thing. Like there, some you get some decks and they're going to shred in a few minutes. 
Yeah, and for me as a tarot reader, and I'm a high-volume reader, the quality of the paper is everything. And so you and Hay House did such a great job of putting together a deck that's not only beautiful, but it's durable. And so I really appreciate that. Thank you for that. All right, Tasha. So again, where can folks find you online and how can they work with you? Well, uh, I think it's the the best entrance point is just going to my website, tatoshasilver.com. They'll find the deck there, but they'll also find links to the various books. Um, and they'll also find the forum, the Living Outrageous Openness Forum that I run, which is basically a community of people from all over the world. And we do weekly calls and uh, weekly Q&A. And I'm, it's basically like a, a training uh, community to learn how to live from offering and really applying these practices on a practical level because, as you know, you can kind of be intrigued by them, but they are the opposite of what the culture teaches. So it takes a little practice to get the hang of it. So we started the forum about four years ago, and they can find more about that if they go to the website. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you for spending time talking about this subject and for creating such a beautiful deck. So thank you so thank much, you. Uh, Tosha. This has been really enlightening. Thank you so much. You asked great questions, Teresa, so I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Glad that you enjoyed the questions. And yeah. It was really fun to talk, and I've learned a lot. And I think my audience Wonderful. is going to learn a lot, too. Great. All Take right. Take care. Yes, and that wraps up this episode of Tarot Bites. And you can check out lots more tarot goodness on my website, thetarolady.com. I've got free introductory classes for tarot newbies, the tarot coloring book, and hundreds of blog posts, astrological forecasts, and lots of other good things for you to scope out. Enjoy. And I want to thank you guys for listening. And I want you to know I really appreciate my audience, so I hope everybody has a beautiful day. And, hey, if you are enjoying this podcast, you can go ahead and leave a nice little review on iTunes because that helps more tarot-curious people find their way to me and to this little podcast. And I always like to close off by saying, pay close attention to your intuition throughout your day and let it guide you into making brave, excellent choices. Remember that you are always in the driver's seat of your life. You're in charge of your decisions, your plans, the action steps that you take or don't take. You're the boss, and if you don't like where your life is headed right now, you can change that. Nothing is ever fixed in stone. The tarot cards tell a story, but you write the ending. 